Hey, um, if y'all grab a seat, we're gonna go ahead and keep keep this train rolling. Uh, a couple announcements before we go any further. One, I see a lot of folks that I don't recognize, so welcome. I'm Matt Avery, I'm the pastor here at Midtown West. Um, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. So if you got time after, um, just come say hey. Uh, two announcements for us. One, giving. Um, we believe that the Lord calls us to give for our benefit, not for his. Um, he is the owner of everything. Um, but he says that he uses us giving as an act of faith to strengthen us and, and do a wonderful work in our midst. So if, if this is your church home, we invite you to to give and thank you for giving. And uh, if it's not your church home and you're just looking around, then welcome and there's no pressure to do any of that. Um, and then the second announcement is we are still meeting every Thursday morning via Zoom. This is the only Zoom meeting before you just are like just totally disgusted with me saying Zoom. Uh, this is the only Zoom meeting that doesn't bother me that it's on Zoom. We do this um, prayer meeting. We pray through a psalm every Thursday, uh, 6 a.m. If you're not getting our weekly emails, that's where the link is. And so you can ask me or Jeremy is not here tonight, but you can email either of us. Um, this is a time that we believe is super important for our body because we believe that this is not just a random collection of individual people who are trying to meet with God here and have their own sort of tunnel vision relationship with him. We actually believe that when he calls us to be a part of the church, that he is growing us together and knitting us together um, as a people. And so we need to learn how to commune with him individually, certainly, but also we need to learn how to commune with him together. And I cannot tell you um, how blessed I am literally every single week. That's not hyperbole. Um, because the way in which I hear my brothers and sisters praying and talking to the Lord and what he is saying to them is it always speaks to me and it always is deeply encouraging. So um, please come and be a part of that. And I'll just say, like, you don't have to show yourself on the screen. You don't have to pray. You can just listen. And so just do whatever you're comfortable with. Um, we would love to have you there. Uh, so with that, uh, we're going to jump into uh, sermon and I don't know who's reading our scripture tonight, but Scott is. So, Scott, come on up. Let's hear it for Scott, guys. Be quiet. Uh, tonight's uh, scripture reading is from Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, man. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for gathering us here tonight. Lord, thank you for every single soul that's in this room. And uh, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and help us to experience you. Um, help us to know your presence, Jesus, in a, a new, deeper way. And for those in this room who don't know you at all, um, I pray that you would uh, make yourself known. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you've been with us, we are going through the study of the book of Philippians. It's this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. 
And, uh, and this, this study is like this study of joy because it's a letter of joy. And Paul talks about joy so much in this letter. And really what, uh, you notice the theme and the titles of these sermons, but uh, what our culture says is that joy is found in gaining more, in consuming more, 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 um, whatever it is, more money, more sex, more comfort, more security, more adventure, more everything. And uh, Paul is coming along after Jesus saying, no, 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 it's actually uh, the joy is in losing. Joy is in losing all these other things to gain Christ. And so tonight, uh, the title of our, our sermon is The Joy in Losing Your Perfection. So how many of y'all are perfectionists? Don't put your hand up because I just want to say perfectionists are the worst. <laughs> they're annoying. They're terrible to be around. No, I'm just kidding. I can say that because I'm a perfectionist too, and most of you are in some way or another. But here's the deal with perfectionists. Um, when you are a perfectionist, when you have perfectionist tendencies in whatever direction, you know, we always, I always think of perfectionists in the, sort of the classic, like, super high achiever, like type A, driven, go, go, go. Um, I'm going to be the next president of the United States. But that's, that's one place, certainly. But there are a, a lot of different manifestations of perfectionism and ways in which it sort of infiltrates in our, our lives and our hearts. And so um, what's underneath that is there's, there's this experience of either not being loved or only being loved conditionally. Like, I have to keep performing, I have to keep doing, keep achieving, um, keep being flawless in order for people to still approve of me and still like me. Um, and so it's like you're just living life, and whether it's in every area or in just a few specific areas, your appearance, your job, your whatever, um, it's, it's like the commodus thumb is always hanging in the balance. And if I don't perform today like uh, I did yesterday, then that thumb's going to start to turn down. And, and so it's like the world is watching you always and, and judging you and, and deciding your worth. That's a miserable way to live. And it's miserable for other people to live around you when you're living like that. And it's impossible for me to love people in my life when I'm living as a perfectionist because all I can think about is me. Am I doing enough? Am I okay? Do you like me? Do you approve of me? And there's no space for me to think about you. Um, I found this in the Harvard Business Review, so you know it's special. Um, it says, there's growing evidence that the increase in serious depression and anxiety disorders of young people may stem from the excessive standards that they hold for themselves and the harsh self-punishment they routinely engage in. Increasingly, they hold irrational ideas for themselves, ideals that manifest in unrealistic expectations for academic or professional achievement, how they should look, what they should own. Young people are seemingly internalizing, it sounds like this was written by an 80-year-old man, young people are seemingly internalizing a preeminent contemporary myth that things, including themselves, should be perfect. Yet perfection is an impossible goal. Those who become preoccupied with it inevitably set themselves up for failure and psychological turmoil. They become obsessed with winning the validation of others, demonstrating their worth through flawless performance after flawless performance. They ruminate chronically about their imperfections, brood over what could have been or should have been, and experience considerable anxiety and even shame and guilt about their perceived inadequacies and unworthiness. So I don't know if you're like me and can identify with some or all of that. 
Um, but Paul's like, yeah, I said that. I said that in my letter to the Philippians a few thousand years ago. Um, and if you think of yourself not as a perfectionist, if you're like a procrastinator, I just want to say you're a perfectionist that just hasn't started yet. <laughs> you're a perfectionist that hasn't entered the game and you procrastinate really because you're afraid of what if I give it my all and it's not good enough. So I always want to have this excuse that, oh, I just didn't, I didn't have the time or I just didn't give it the attention it needed. Um, it's, the, it's the other side of the same coin. So the good news is Jesus came to get you out of your head, to save you from yourself. He came to save you from your perfectionism. And uh, what Randy preached on last week when three of you were here uh, was the gospel. Um, the first 11 verses of chapter three is the gospel. Is Paul saying, look, all, all of my inward focus is now gone because I've seen Jesus. And so all of the personal resume building, all the perfectionism that I was trying to constantly achieve is now out the window because I'm looking at Jesus and the surpassing worth of knowing and seeing Jesus. And so if that's the gospel, then these uh, whatever four or five verses are the life of a Christian. The fancy word is sanctification. The process of becoming mature in Jesus, growing in Jesus is what we're looking at tonight. And so Paul says that mature people are no longer hyper-focused on themselves or in their own heads. They are now singularly focused on Jesus. And so what does this look like? What does this look like when it fleshes out in our lives? And so we're going to look at both aspects of this tonight, of, of how this looks. First, we're going to look at what it is to be singularly focused on Jesus, and then we're going to look at sort of the negative aspect of what does it mean to not be as focused on myself anymore. So first, um, the positive side of this, um, ma people's mature people are increasingly becoming singularly focused on Jesus. Paul starts this passage by saying, not that I have already obtained it, Okay, so we got to ask, like, what does he mean when he says it? What is it? It is fully realizing all the benefits of being united to Jesus and becoming like him, becoming perfectly like him to be fully mature. It's to know Jesus. It's to realize the power of what his death and resurrection has accomplished for you and made possible for you. It's to become like him and enjoy living life with him. And so Paul talks about his pursuit of Jesus and all the benefits that Jesus has given us in two different ways in this passage. The first is he says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. This, this word press on is to pursue a def, definite goal with intense effort. It's like it was used um, in talking about war, like when, when there was a battle and one army routed another army and several, the remaining people are like running away. They are pressing on to, like, we've got them on their heels. Now we're just going to go finish it off. Like, the battle's already won, and we are running with all of our energy after the last survivors to just finish the battle. And so it's this, this like, I have a singular focus. I am running with all my energy, with all of my, my might, all of my thought toward this one thing. And Paul is saying, for him, this one thing is Jesus and the life that Jesus has already given him because, I mean, look at this. This is the encouraging thing is it's never going to be a waste to press on toward Christ because it's, it's never a mystery of like, are we going to realize the benefits? We are because he says, I do this because Christ has already made me his own. Like he's already had a singular focus on me and redeeming me and bringing me 
out of sin and death into himself for eternity with him. Um, have you ever seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? That is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't know why. You guys can tell me why that speaks to me. I'm not sure. But um, if you haven't seen it, basically Walter Mitty is this really nerdy guy who works in the negative asset management for Life magazine. And that means that this really awesome Sean Penn plays this guy, Sean O'Connell, who's this really awesome adventure photographer, like super cool dude. And for years, he's been mailing his film to Walter and Walter has to process it to make the pictures that are going to go in Life magazine. And so they have this relationship over distance, but they've never met each other. They never talked to each other. And so in the movie, Life is being shut down. They have one last cover photo and Sean O'Connell mails this uh, roll of negatives to Walter and he says, like, negative number 25 is my best work ever. And that's going to be the cover photo for the last issue ever of Life magazine. And he can't find it. And so he's just trying to figure out what to do. And he's just always in his head. He's always daydreaming. And so this, like, missing negative that he has to go find sets him on this adventure to go like follow the clues of where is Sean O'Connell and go find him and try to find this missing negative. And so as he does, he's meeting all the people that Sean O'Connell is having adventures with out in the world. And he's learning about him through these other people. And then he's going to all the places that he's going and having his own adventures that are just like Sean's adventures. And by the time he finds him in the Himalayan mountains, he looks just like him. He's been transformed from this like nerdy guy that's always daydreaming in his own head and not living his life to this guy who's out there living, having adventures, and he's become like Sean. And then when he meets him and he, he has to figure out like what is this missing negative, he finds it and realizes that Sean's greatest work is a picture of Walter. It's a picture of Walter working at the magazine. And so to me, that's like all I could think about this week when I was thinking about this, because in some ways this is really hard to conceptualize because it's just kind of out there. But it's like we, like Paul, are we're following after Jesus in any way that we can. He's given us his word so that we can know him and his word. We can know what he's like. We can interact with people who are following him as well and know him intimately and maybe are even more mature than we are. And we can get to know him by talking with those people. And, uh, and then we realize that this is all this beautiful picture that he's actually invited us into this because he loves us. Because he said, no, 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 my singular focus is you. Because I want to spend eternity with you and I want to enjoy life with you. Uh, the second place that Paul talks about this, or the second way that he talks about this in this passage is, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so that that's a really, if you're like me, that's a sentence that sounds confusing at first. So I want to break it down. He says, I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize. And what is this the prize from? This is the prize, the result of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is God, the upward call means it's not coming from me or anywhere down here. God has called me and the result of his call is experiencing life with him. Um, and that's the prize that's already there because he's already called me. And so I'm just running after it. And so um, he talks about this a, a lot in Scripture. But two places that we, we hear about this. One, 1 Peter 5.10. Uh, Peter says, The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. 
And then in another letter that Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, he says, God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, like he is, he is going to make us holy and blameless. In love, because he loves us, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about what is this like? Um, this is like an Easter egg hunt where mom and dad have put all these amazing things in these Easter eggs and thrown them all in the backyard and we're the kids and we just get to go find the eggs. Like this is something that's here. Like God has called us before the foundation of the world. It, it does not depend on us. He has already set his affection on us. He has already given us all the benefits of union with Jesus. We have been united with Jesus through his death and resurrection. And he's like, I've put Easter eggs all over the yard. You don't have to worry. They're there. <laughs> like, it's, it's not like this fear of what if I go looking for Easter eggs and there's nothing there? No, no, no. The yard is full of them. You just run. Just go run and find them as, as many as you can and as fast as you can and just enjoy them. And so it's, it's essentially what Jesus is saying to us through this passage through Paul is I don't want you to get better. I want you to get closer. I don't need you to get better. That's not, that's not the problem. <laughs> I'm going to take care of that. I need you to get closer. I need you to come and press in and be curious and be hungry and desire more of me and uncover and discover all of me and all of the benefits of being united with me that are already yours because of what I've accomplished. And so that is now the singular focus on Jesus, this increasingly singular focus on Jesus is the new pursuit is the new focus of those who are growing in Christ. And so what does that mean now for us as we are doing more focusing on Jesus and less of focusing on ourselves? And Paul talks about three ways in which this shows up. One, uh, mature people know that they're not fully mature yet. So if you're mature, you know that you're not yet perfect. Paul says, not that I am already perfect, I do not consider that I've already made all of this my own. So that means that the pressure is off. That means that you and I can stop living under this lie that, that we're perfect. I can stop expecting that of myself. I can stop expecting that of you. And, and one really specific application of this is now, because we all know that I'm not perfect, now I can confess my sin to you and ask for your forgiveness without being terrified that it's going to undo me. We're going to be just fine. So now we can actually have real relationship with each other because we are free to admit our imperfection. The second way that this shows up is Paul says that mature people don't dwell on the past, good or bad. He says forgetting what lies behind. So, I mean, forgetting... Like he, he says in the first part of this chapter that we talked about last week is, you know, Paul's like, hey, here's my resume of what makes me awesome. And when I found Jesus, I threw all that in the garbage. It became as garbage to me. Like, I want y'all to know that I was really cool in college. OK, you need to know that. OK. And I've done a lot of other really amazing things. But like when I live in the past, if I'm like really concerned about that kind of stuff, how I can't focus on Jesus if I'm focused on my resume of what makes me somebody. It means, all, the, all that does is it means that I don't really know Jesus yet, and I don't really know how much he loves me. Or, or I've been 
confused and, and I'm sort of need to wake up from this, this confusion or this cloud because um, when I'm really in touch with who Jesus is and how much he loves me and what life is in him, then I really stop worrying about that stuff because it doesn't hold any value anymore. And it also means that I can leave my sin and my shame in the past too. The negative side of these things, like the negative side of the past is like, I'm done thinking about it. Like Jesus has forgiven me. He's forgiven you for all of our sin, all of our shame. And so it's really silly to dwell on it. And you know what else? Like, I don't need to dwell on the pain of my past either. I'm going to be really careful how I say this, but this is really important. In our, like, therapeutic culture, there's a way in which um, I can just dig, 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 dig deeper and deeper and deeper into my own story. And it's actually a form of self-worship. Because all I ever get to is more of me. And so all I'm ever talking about is me. And I'll just say this, counseling is a massive gift from the Lord. Um, And here's what good counseling is. Good counseling is always working toward enabling me to glory in Christ more. Like that is the chief end of what it is to have good counseling. And so, so now I'm free. I can get out of my own head. And the last thing here is mature people trust God to give them what they need when they need it. Paul says this, And if in anything you think in an immature way, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. What he means there is, hey, look, I'm telling you all this. This is how mature people should think. If if there are ways, and there are, that you are still thinking immaturely, don't worry about going trying to find all those ways. Jesus will reveal that to you. Like as you're living life in this community of your brothers and sisters, he's going to reveal your immaturity to you. And it's not going to be to shame you. It's going to be to help you grow. And so... All he's asking you to do is live out of what you know now. Like, that's what that last verse means. It's just, just live out of what you've already attained. Like, the maturity level where you are today, live like that. Don't, don't go backwards and live more immaturely. Um, it's like a, th- a third grader. If, if a third grader knows that they're going to grow up to be an adult, and all of a sudden they start panicking, like, I'm going to be an adult one day. i got to learn calculus. i got to get into college. i got to get a job. i got to start my 401K. It's like, no, you don't. You're in third grade. You just have to be a third grader. And do the things that are going to get you ready to be in fourth grade. And then when you're in fourth grade, you're going to do those things. And you're going to go to fifth grade. And that's, that's what Paul is saying to us. It's like, hey, the pressure is off. Like, Jesus has the timing on your maturity plan. All you have to do is follow him today. And he's going to reveal all this stuff in his time. Uh, if, if y'all are fans of John Foreman, one of the songs, one of the lines from one of the songs in his new album is, uh, you lose yourself when you love someone. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. That's, that's the, the movement of the Christian life, is we are losing ourselves. We are losing our focus on ourselves and our need to be perfect as we love Jesus and we become more enamored with him and, and more understanding of why in him we don't need to think about ourselves at all. And so uh, as he matures us, Jesus invites us out of our heads and into his love. And, and again, he is all that he is saying through this passage and, and through um, every way in which he's communicating with us is you don't need to get better. You need to get closer. Father, uh, I, I pray as we prepare to go to the table tonight that you would just press that in through your Holy Spirit. Um, Press that reality into us that um, you are calling us to life with you. 
and it's not a, a hurdle that we have to uh, jump over. It's, it's an invitation to just keep moving towards you, trusting that you are going to reveal more and more of yourself to us as we come to you. You've already done everything, and you will continue to do everything necessary. Um, all you ask of us is just to, to continue to pursue you. And so we do, by faith, uh, believing that you will reveal yourself to us, and we will find the abundant life that we were made for. Uh, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so tonight, as we uh, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and uh, this is a, a beautiful gift that God's given us, um, this tangible, visible picture, this sign of this spiritual reality that Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you closer. I'm inviting you so close that we're actually in each other. And so when he, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, um, he, had, he was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and he took the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, and, and you need to take and feed on me. You need to eat this and know that I am your sustenance, that I am everything you need. And then he poured the wine, and he said, this is my blood that's shed for you. This is the blood of the new covenant where when you drink this, you know that this blood that's been shed means that your blood doesn't have to be shed. Instead of drinking God's wrath, you are drinking in celebration of the wedding feast that's to come because we're united with, with God forever in Christ. And so the, the only requirement for coming to this table is that you know that you are a sinner in need of grace. You need salvation and you cannot accomplish it for yourself and that Jesus is the only Savior who can. And so if you are trusting in Christ, whether that's for the first time ever today or for the millionth time, um, then come and, and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you so much. And so uh, what we do here is um, we come up to the kneelers and you'll be served the elements. And so um, you can come and just pray and spend time talking with the Lord. And when you're ready for the elements, just put your hands out and we'll come and, and give them to you. And also, if you want prayer, um, just either say that and let us know or just cross your arms over your chest and uh, we'd love to pray for you too.